Ephesians chapter 4, verses 4 through 6. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. I'm going to pray for us. Father, we ask for your help this morning as we look at your word and we read it. Just as we were singing earlier, we look to your word and we hope in your word because your word is true. Your word has not failed us and it will not fail us. Your word, it is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, and it does not return void. And so we ask that by the power of your Spirit, you would change us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Last week, we saw Paul transitioning to the second part of this letter. You know, if we, could, if we could sum up the two parts to this letter, we would look at Ephesians chapter 1 through 3, and we could say, it's all gospel doctrine. 1 through 3. Chapters 1 through 3 is gospel doctrine. Chapters 4 through 6 is gospel living. And we're at this part, this transition part of Paul moving away from gospel doctrine and showing us now how to do some gospel living. And last week what we saw was Paul in a very decisive way calling his readers now to walk the walk. Don't just intellectually know these things in your mind. Now, walk it out. And there are are a few things that we saw that he, he calls us to walk out. He says, here, walk out your faith in humility and gentleness, patience, bearing with one another in love and eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of Christ. You know one of the most incredible things that just blows my mind so much about the church is that the church still gathers (laughs) with all of the sin in people's hearts, all of the dysfunction that we bring into it, the church still exists. (laughs) Like it has not cracked, it has not crumbled, it's still continuing to go on. So as I was just meditating on this passage, I couldn't help but just think as we start this message to ask the question, what should cause us to walk in love, in humility, in unity? As Paul is transitioning from the gospel doctrine to gospel living, and he is calling his readers to walk worthy in these ways, ultimately to show the unity of the church, What should cause us to walk in this love and in this humility 
ultimately in this unity. This is what we're going to see this morning. And really, this is the root of the Christian life. Is that God should motivate us to walk in humility and unity. Not one certain or particular thing, but it should be God. God should motivate us to walk in humility and unity. And before Paul gets into the, hey church, all of you have gifts, This is how we are to use those gifts. This is how we are to live out together, being transformed, having this identity. He roots them into this reality, just like he did at the beginning of this letter. In chapter 1, before Paul really gets into the gospel doctrine, he shows how God is the center of salvation. It's the Father who, before the foundation of the world, predestined to adopt us. It's the Son who redeems us. And it's the Spirit who seals us. And now, before we get into the gospel living, what are we seeing again? We're seeing the Father, the Spirit, and the Son at work in our gospel living. It should be God who motivates us to walk in humility and unity and love. If I were to ask you the question, what's one word to describe our world, our country? I think if we were to take a poll, one of the highest words that would come up is disunity dysfunction, splits, parties. And yet, as a church, God uses us to display what true unity, humility, and love can look like. But what happens when this creeps into the church? What happens when disunity creeps into the church? The church then looks no different from the world. And the church offers then no hope. Why do non-Christians and Christians end up being disunified? The simple answer is the idol that's in your heart. Why is, let's just use our country, split, divided, disunified? Some might say, well, because of politics. Others might say sports teams. But we all have these idols in our hearts that we are prone to gravitate towards. Maybe what divides this country isn't politics, but money 
in social economic class status. Maybe it's ethnicity. What is in your heart that causes you to be disunified or divided from your brother or sister? Before Paul moves into the gospel living, this is what he is trying to call out and call this church to. Now that you are unified to Christ and have the same identity, the gospel living isn't just for yourself, it's for the building up of the church. And even more so, it's for you as the gathered people, us, to look more like Christ. And this is why, before he gets into the gospel living, Paul gives us seven basic confession statements. One body, one spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father over all. He's trying to give them a creed or a confession to live by as a church so that they may be built up into the fullness of Christ. This is the goal, church, for us as individuals and collectively to be built up to look more like Christ so that we are able to give this hopeless world incredible hope. And so... As we look at this, what we're going to see first is that the Spirit of God, He actually brings the church together. As we see one body, there is one body, Paul says, one body, not many bodies. We could look in here and we could say, well, Paul, what in the world are you talking about? There is many bodies in this room. What are you talking about? But he's talking about the spiritual body of Christ where Christ is the head and we are the members. In chapter 2, this is what Paul was trying to lay out for us. As we were reconciled to one body. The dividing wall of hostility between all of us was torn down. We're different members of the same body. And this is incredible. If we're thinking about a physical body here, what we're saying, or what Paul is saying, is like there are toes in here right now. And there are fingers, and there are earlobes, and there are nostrils. There are knee armpits currently in here. Nobody wants to be a knee armpit, but it is crucially vital. And it's just as important as anything else on the body. There are eyes, there are ears. We are one body that is stitched together by the Spirit. But this is oh so tough, church, isn't it? This is tough. 
And this is challenging to be just one body and not just a bunch of individuals that get to do their own thing. It's tough. It's tough because, you know, people are complex. And if you're here this morning and you're like, well, Max, people aren't really that complex, I would say you probably don't know the complexity of people then. You might not know yourself very well then. People are complex and they bring their baggage in. They bring sin in. The trauma that they experienced as kids are brought into this body. Sometimes the members are bruised, and when one body part is bruised, the whole body feels it. And yet we still are one body. And we're still called to function as one body. People have different personalities. People rub you the wrong way. There are certain things about people that you naturally gravitate towards. There are certain things about people that you naturally take steps backwards from. And yet, Paul here is calling them, and he calls us, the 21st century church, one body. Many members, but one body. How are we stitched together? How are we put together? Well, he tells us it's by one Spirit. This is already what Paul has told us, is that it's by this one Spirit that has given us access to the Father and the Son. It's the Spirit that is building us up into this temple. It's the Spirit of God that actually gives us new life. The Spirit makes us, as Jesus says, born again. We are new creations. The old is gone. The, the new has come. It's the Spirit of God that makes us into one body. And so what the Spirit acts as is the Spirit almost acts as the blood in the body. The blood keeps everything healthy. Right? Because if there is one part of your body that is not receiving blood, then what happens? That body part dies. And so the Spirit acts as this uniting blood in us to keep us going and keep us functioning. It, it's what kind of brings us together. It seals us into citizenship and as a family. I couldn't help but think about how uh, relatable this is if you have siblings. I don't know about you, but I love my siblings, and yet we just didn't really get along all that well growing up at times. And I'm sure that if you've had a sibling, the same could be said about you. And this is how the body works, being unified by the Spirit being sealed by the Spirit. And as we come together and as we are one body, and as the Spirit of God brings the church together, we are then called to one hope. It's not many different hopes out there. It's not many different dreams. It's one hope. 
It's that we are God's prized possession. Look, do you know if you are in Christ, you are God's prized possession? Even goes so far to say that you are the apple of God's eye. You are God's inheritance. And this is the hope that we as Christians are now called to. And this is why we, we set sail and we work towards this upward calling and the prize that we will receive because the prize that we receive is God Himself. And yet on the same hand, we are God's prized people. You know, I just think that the church could do so much of a better job at this hoping. Being more hopeful, being hopeful in the calling that we've been called to. Church, let's not let the cynicism of the world creep into our hearts and cause us to be hopeless in what God has called us to. If you need to turn off the news, then turn off the news. It would be far better for your testimony and the glory of God for you to be stupidly optimistic and hopeful about the coming of Jesus than to be pessimistic and cynical about where the current world is right now. Because we know the end. Jesus wins. I, I just, the church is made for this moment. Christian, you were made for this moment. And so here, I'm just going to ask us if we can just, as a church, commit to just pumping each other up with hope. Uh, just let me try to illustrate it like this. My older brother and I when, I, was, when I was a sophomore in high school, my older brother, he wanted to run a 5K. He had never run a 5K before, and he wanted to run a 5K. And so he trained, and he, I mean, it was amazing to see him say, I'm going to do this, and he did it, and we're, we get to the 5K, and he says, Max, would you like to run with me? And so I said, sure, why not? I'll run with you. And as we are running, it's a simple straight shot down one end, you loop back around a cone, and you come to the other end, and as we're 100 yards away from this orange-looking cone, we see this kid who had to have been no older than middle school. I mean, he could I mean, he just looked really little. But he was running, and his dad was in front of us, and he shouts to his dad, "Come on, Dad, keep up." <laughs> and my brother and I, we had a good, we had a good laugh about it. But far too often, don't we as the church treat each other like this? Trying to outpace one another. Shouting at one another, come on, keep up! Taking on the posture of the cutthroat fleshly world that we see. Come on, keep up! You gotta be better, you gotta do better, you gotta get more! Instead of setting the pace with encouraging, we're halfway there. You're doing a good job. You need me to walk with you? You can keep on doing it. You're, you're doing it. You're walking it. 
the finish line is in sight. We can see the finish line coming. We, we know that the finish line is there. It's set. It will come. We can keep on going. Don't stop. You got it. I'm here with you. Church, what would it look like if we were to take the posture of just pumping each other up with hope constantly? Instead of taking on the posture of a cynical world, the Spirit of God brings the church together. We are one body, unified by one Spirit, hoping in one hope, the hope that we've been called to. That is that we are God's prized possession. But what do I do to be a part of this body? And this is where then Paul transitions. What must I do to be a part of this body? Because despite what some common beliefs are, it's not your baptism that makes you a part of the body of Christ. Although baptism is important, and we're going to see this in just a little bit, but it's not your baptism that makes you a part of this body. It's not growing up in the church that makes you a part of this body. It's not having parents that are Christians that make you a part of the body. It's not praying a prayer at some point that makes you a part of this body. It's not walking down the aisle or asking Jesus into your heart that makes you a part of the body. So then what do we do to be a part of this body? And we see that Paul says very clearly in two words, one Lord. One Lord. And this is the exclusivity of the gospel. There's not many ways to one God as some people profess. It's not this bumper sticker that says coexist where the idea is, is well, everyone is just coexisting together and they're all going to get to the same God, so we might as well just get along. This is the exclusivity of the gospel that Paul is bringing to the forefront. That it is only through Christ that you are born again. It is only through Christ that you can receive forgiveness of sins. It is by Christ alone and only Christ alone that you are able to have access with the Father. This is what Jesus says himself. If I were sitting at a table with a, a, a Muslim or a Hindu or people of differing religions, we may not agree on a lot, but the one thing we would agree on is we think the other person is in serious danger. Because we don't believe that it's one God in many different ways. We believe that it is only one God, and Jesus says himself, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and nobody comes to the Father except through me. And this would have been important for this church in Ephesus to know as their big goddess, Artemis, would have been at the forefront, and the temptation for them would have been to run back and be inclusive and say, well, you know what? Yeah, there's, there's many gods. You know, Zeus is all right too. 
Paul here is saying, no, 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 there is only one Lord and it is Jesus Christ. But sin, it keeps us divided. Sin, oh my goodness, sin keeps us miserable. I mean, that, that loser, the devil, he wants to tempt us to sin. And sin is what keeps our idols in our hearts. It divides us and it leaves us more in a miserable state than when we started. And so Paul is just sitting here saying, look, it is one Lord. But because of our fleshly, sinful nature, as one pastor, theologian put it, our hearts are an idol factory that's perpetually producing idols. <laughs> Let me say that again. Our hearts are idol factories that are perpetually producing idols. Even with the Spirit of God, our hearts are looking for things to worship. So where there is disunity where there is a lack of love in our heart or where there is a lack of humility in our life or the churches, there is an idol at play. It could be status. Don't you know who I am and what I've done? How long I've been a part of this church or what my title is? at this workplace? Don't you know what my last name means in this community? Maybe it's preference. Well, but I really like that. You know, you don't really root for the same team that I do. There are different idols that we put up that then tear down the unity that Paul is calling us to in this passage. And what happens is as we put those idols up, we take Christ down. And so we must be serious about our hearts and ask the Spirit to reveal what is in our hearts, what is at play. So then the temptation, as we're seeing that the Son of God is who the church believes in for salvation, is to ask the question, well then what do I do? And in the Midwest, we are hard workers. And we are tempted to look at our faith and just work as hard as possible for it. 
I am guilty of this, and you are guilty of this. If I were to ask you a question, how was your week? How are you doing? What's up? Inevitably, what I've noticed is about 75 to 80% of the time, somebody says, tired. And then they go on to talk about what they've worked on that's made them tired. We're not like the West Coast where the answer is going to be chilling, been relaxing, getting some sun, as if in Wisconsin. We want to work for something that's already been done for us. And our hearts are prone to do that. You see, there's the exclusivity of the gospel that it's only through Jesus, but here's the amazing thing, is that it's also inclusive. The gospel isn't who you are. It's, it's not what you've done up to this point. It's not what you need to do, and it's not what you haven't done yet. It's inclusive because all sinners are able to come to Jesus and receive forgiveness of sins. And this happens by one faith. It's through faith alone. It's through trust in Jesus that we receive forgiveness and that we enter into the body of Christ. You are not a part of the body of Christ because what you do. You aren't a part of the body of Christ because you sing songs or you usher or you preach a sermon or you greet somebody hello on on their way in. You're a part of the body of Christ because of your trust in Christ. Are you here this morning and are you just so exhausted from just trying so hard to make God happy? You're just so tired of trying to work for His affection and love and blessing. Trust in Jesus. That's the way to salvation. That's the way of eternal life. It's trust in Jesus. It's one faith in Jesus that unifies the body. And then as Paul continues his thought, he moves on to then one baptism. There is no competition between James and Paul, with this whole debate about faith and works and works and faith and all of that. One baptism. Obedience. So faith in Jesus, and faith in Jesus leads to obedience in Jesus. Baptism is a sign of obedience. It is a sign of, and an image of you dying to your old self, and putting all that you used to be, your, your identity, your old image is all buried in the water. And when you are raised up from the water, it is an image of you entering into new life and putting on Christ. This is the image. This is the mark. This is one of the steps. What we call this is either a sacrament or an ordinance. 
It's just a fancy word for obedience to Jesus. So if you haven't been baptized, I would encourage you, come talk to me. Let's get you baptized. It is this mark of obedience, of walking in one direction together. And so we see that the Spirit brings the body together. The Son is who the church believes in for salvation. And we look at this last part that the Father is at work in the church to keep it going. Like, no program or no thing that the church does is what keeps the church going. I mean, look at what Paul says here. This is absolutely incredible. One God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. God is over all. He is in all. He is through all. What, what Paul is saying here is that this is not a wimpy God. We do not have a wimpy father. We have a father who is sovereign over all things. He intimately knows his creation, despite what some people believe, that, that God just wound up the clock and he let it go just to let people do their thing and hopefully they find themselves back to him. This isn't that God. We do not serve a God that looks like a disinterested father who's just sitting in his recliner, picking his belly button hair, asking their son for another beer. This isn't a disinterested father. This is a father who is sovereign over all things. This is a creator of all. He is the ruler of all. He is invested and interested in his church. This is a father who, whose, whose love will not separate us from anything. No sword, no pestilence, nakedness, persecution, none of it will be able to separate the, father's, the, the church from the Father's love. None of it. This Father is supreme. He is amazing. He is the Creator who knows what is going on right here in Community Church of Appleton. He knows exactly and so what this tells us about God, what this tells us about God is, is that God, He is at work in the church to keep it going. And this is why God should motivate us to walk this walk out. This is why God motivates us to walk in love, in humility, in unity. We aren't brought together because of some common interest. Like, this isn't the, the, the church of all of the Packer fans. This isn't the, the church of all of the intellectual elites. This isn't the church of all the, the misfits. This is God's church. This is His church. We aren't brought together because of some common similarity that we all have. This isn't the church. This wasn't the church that Paul is writing to as he's having Jewish people come into the churches as there are, are old pagan worshipers coming into the church. There are Gentiles coming into the church and they're all now having to coexist with one another as they've been raised differently, as they have different sin struggles, as they, as they are just trying to figure things out. This isn't a church of common similarities. If, if you would like to go to a church of common similarities, this hopefully is not that church. 
We can talk after and I can try to help you. But I'll encourage you not to go because the church is ultimately most glorified. It most glorifies God. When people of different makeups come together to worship God. What Paul is ultimately saying before he moves on to the, the do this part, he's saying, if you trust this, then this is what we can build on. If you trust this, this is what we can build on. If, if you trust that it's one body, one spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God over all, we can build on this. This is enough for Paul. We can build on this. And if you want to know what that looks like, played out, read, read Romans. That'll help kind of maybe put a skin or, or flesh on the bones. But Paul is giving the basics here of, of this is what we believe. This is what keeps the church together through the storm, through the trial, through tragedy. It's these truths. You do this because this is who we are. Church, is this what you believe? Is this what we are moving towards as a church? Is this what motivates us to walk in love and humility and unity? Does God motivate us? Or is it some type of common interest that motivates us? So then, how should we live? Since this is the case, since God should motivate us to walk in love and humility and unity, how should we live? I've got two things for us as we conclude. The first is that we as a church need to be committed to our faith. We need a commitment of faith. Knowing God is important. Do you settle for the bare minimum of God? Don't settle. Open up God's Word and get to know Him. Read books about His character and His nature. Understand who God is more and more. Let God motivate you to walk the Christian life. Let His loveliness and supremacy encourage you to fight against sin. Let His patience and kindness lead you to deeper repentance and fellowship with Him. Don't just go home throughout the week and scroll on your phones getting to know pointless information that just doesn't really matter. Go home. 
to know God more. We as a church must be committed to our faith. Which leads to the second. Is that we should be committed to growing in the fruits of the Spirit together. We should be committed to growing in the fruits of the Spirit together. If we are to be built up into the fullness of Christ, then we need to be committed to growing in the fruits of the Spirit together. Because as we grow in the fruits of the Spirit, this produces in us Christ-likeness. And this, at the end of the day, as Paul is writing this letter, we're seeing him so far draw this out, draw this out, draw this out, that we are to be built up in Christ, the fullness. And this, at times, comes with a cost. This is costly. And some of you are going to hate this. And some of you aren't going to do this. And some of you are going to do this and mess up and... We're not going to do it perfectly. But to grow in the fruits of the Spirit together means that we need to confess sin when we sin. It means that we have to confront sin when there is sin. It means that we need to keep each other accountable. It means that we have to pump each other up with hope when we recognize that we need hope. This is the costliness. But I will tell you what. There is nothing more exhilarating in life than being a Christian. And it's totally worth it. As scary as it is, it's worth it. Because us growing in the fruits together just doesn't have a momentarily impact, but it has an eternal impact. That's what we're after, the fullness of Christ. One body, one spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father over all, through all, in all. This is it, church. The fullness of Christ. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you We thank you for being Lord of all. God, we worship you and we thank you. We thank you for sending your son Jesus. 
accomplishing the task that we couldn't accomplish. We pray this in his name. Amen.